Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast. It is MoneyWeb's weekly podcast where I speak to leading investment professionals. The guest today is Chepo Modiba. He is the CEO of Sereti Asset Management. Chepo, welcome to the show. Uh, last week we've seen an interest rate hike yep. and the anomaly that the RAND strengthened as it should do, but the, the market also uh, saw some upside, which it shouldn't do. How do you currently read the market? It's uh, a great question. The investor or storyteller in me wants to say it was really driven by global factors. Uh, the RAND probably, not the RAND per se, but the underlying market uh, probably gained direction from international movements rather than the interest rate hike, which was, to be fair, only 25 basis points. So not a material increase, but an increase nonetheless. But we can talk about the interest rate increase. We, we definitely, uh, I think the Reserve Bank is preparing itself for a, a hike across the Atlantic, mm-hmm. which uh, would again impact a lot of equity markets around the world. What do you expect when we actually see the US uh, you know, pressing the button and hiking rates? Again, I think it's not necessarily the action of when they start. And I think by all expectations, it will be in December. So if they don't, quite a bit of volatility after that fact. But certainly after that, I think it's more a case of the trajectory of interest rates in the US rather than when they begin the process. And I don't anticipate, given that there's no inflation pretty much out of the US, and I still think that underlying economy is fairly fragile. um, Whilst the economic momentum in the US is a little bit better than elsewhere in the world, specifically developed markets. I think you can make a strong argument that it's still quite fragile. So I don't expect uh, very drastic movements from the Fed at all. Mm. The big theme of this year has been volatility, uh, volatility, especially in emerging markets, but also in the developed markets. What do you foresee for the, the short and medium term for, first of all, international markets and, and maybe for the JSE as well? I think a continuation of that theme, I, I, I think it's really driven by the market looking for some sort of direction. So data points have been quite mixed. Um, you have some positive economic performance out of the US and then uh, seemingly a soft patch out of China at the same time. So I think that's really what's driven this big spurt in volatility across the world and the emerging markets in particular, particularly because I guess the largest commodity consumer is experiencing on the face of it a, a, a slowdown. But again, 6.5% economic performance out of China isn't too bad, given that they're still producing more output at 6.5% than they were at 14% in 2007. Do you believe that number? Yes and no. Look, uh, I, I think when you look at the underlying businesses or every business that I've looked at that is operational in China, the truth is the sales figures are increasing quite dramatically. Profitability is still looking pretty good. So if they're lying about it, then all of those other companies are lying about it too. Let's talk a bit about Sariti um, Asset Management. What is your uh, history and, and what is your investment philosophy? Our, so we started out in 2013 um, and the focus of the business has really been uh, or the purpose was to to build a business that both represented our investment thesis but also our, our value set as a business. So we are very proud of the name Siriti itself. Um, it means shadow. It means, oh, well, the simple meaning is shadow. Um, I guess the closest English word is gravitas. So when someone 
I talk about my grandmother speaks about someone who carries themselves with siridi. It's someone who's implicitly impressive, but carries themselves with a certain humility and dignity. Uh, you are currently manage one fund, which interestingly enough is an international fund, um, and you don't have a local uh, fund. Uh, why why only, are you only focusing on the international market? <laughs> it's really a, a function of the team's experience. Um, so the portfolio managers within the business, including myself, have uh, in our careers been focus on the offshore side and uh, it just makes sense for us to roll that out uh, for the business. Having said that, it's also in our mind uh, a good growth area for the business um, or the market in general. Firstly, because of um, exchange control, uh, relaxation, more demand for foreign investment, but also on the pension fund side, uh, relaxation of of REC28, so you can now take up to 25% of your assets offshore. And I think it it creates a a compelling case to, to have talented market participants and we think that uh, South African managers are probably right up there with some of the best in the world um, and it gives us the opportunity to compete with the rest of the world. How big is the fund? Um, still quite small in the scheme of the market as 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 an aggregate but we're hoping to to gain traction from some of the larger players within the industry so we we're talking to the bigger funds the likes of PIC to hopefully get uh, a bit more traction into the business how much funds are under management uh, less than a billion um, let's talk about the the international fund your investments are definitely skewed towards the USA why is that the case <laughs> It's simply a case of uh, if you're targeting an international benchmark, uh, the U.S. is, what, 52 53% of the MSCI world countries, 57% of the MSCI world. Um, so if you're running a global portfolio, uh, you can't say, I don't like the U.S. because it's overvalued, so I'm not going to buy anything there. The truth is it's a question of um, how much to allocate to the U.S. rather than, um, than, than, than whether you're going to allocate to the U.S. at all. Your biggest investments there are Johnson & Johnson and GlaxoSmithKline. Why do you like those stocks? <laughs> Johnson & Johnson in particular. Um, so Glaxo is um, in the UK. Um, uh, Johnson & Johnson in particular. Um, we, uh, the business is split into three. So uh, there's the underlying pharmaceutical business, um, the su- consumer brands that we, we all know and familiar with as well. And then finally, the medical devices business. And each of those are gaining traction, uh, particularly in the emerging world. So the, the, the core market of the U.S. Um, is quite stable and growing uh, solidly, um, but gaining quite a bit of traction in emerging markets. Um, and then from a, an, a margin perspective, Johnson & Johnson actually uh, has industry-leading margins. So for every bit of growth that they can generate, uh, profit to be underlying profitability is uh, a little better than their peers. You also have some appetite for emerging markets uh, outside Africa. Uh, you've mentioned uh, you, you like the uh, valuations on markets like Singapore, Hong Kong, Thailand. Uh, w- w- why is this the case? Firstly, there's some phenomenal businesses in those markets, Um, you know, world-class businesses that are actually industry-leading in what they do. So one of the businesses that we own uh, does, I guess, is Lazy Boy's uh, biggest competitor, um, actually is the second largest player um, in the U.S. in particular. So um, from a competition perspective, you know, these are businesses that can compete with some of the best in the world. 
but there's this blanket rule that emerging markets is a bad place right now. So valuations have pulled back quite dramatically. Um, so, and I guess a, uh, an investor's perspective in our mind, it's the perfect place where you've got value, depressed valuations, but phenomenal businesses. Uh, I'll take that every day of the week. One of your big holdings there is uh, the Hong Kong Electric. Tell us about Hong Kong Electric. Sure. A stable business um, in the Hong Kong market. They've got roughly 20% of the market as a whole. Unlike our uh, utility business here, they've had less than an hour power disruption uh, over the last five years in aggregate, which is impressive, right? So 97% uh, supply in terms of that. A business that has a very stable balance sheet uh, from a margin perspective, there's a very clear outlook in terms of the underlying profitability that they make given that the state actually or state-owned utility owns uh, 20% of this business. So a great outlook, decent valuations, so a stable, solid business. What has the performance been of your international fund? Right. Um, so the track record's not too long um, in terms of the fund itself, but we've been fortunate enough to uh, be about a percent and a half ahead of other MSCL countries, which is interesting given our very large um, overweight position in emerging markets, which we all know have been quite volatile of late, uh, and a big underweight in the US. Um, but our underlying stock picks have um, added quite a bit of value. So we're quite excited around the potential when the market stops being driven by what the US Fed is doing and really starts looking at the underlying fundamentals of businesses across the world. Is it uh, random nominated? Um, it's, I actually don't think that actually matters, right? Um, what uh, the currency that you report in is whatever you choose to report in. Um, what really matters is the underlying earnings that the businesses derive. Um, so we can report it in pretty much whatever the underlying client wants. Are you looking at launching a fund focused on the JSE? At some stage in the business, the, the truth is our, our ambition is to become the largest asset management firm on the continent. And That's very ambitious. <laughs> well, you have to have big goals, right? Big goals. Um, so the idea is that at some stage we'll be uh, a fully-fledged business across all asset classes, including local equities, property, really across the board. But what we're trying to do is uh, really solidify our position as, as the foremost global equity player in the country. Um, and then from there, we'll look at uh, offering other offerings. I just want to talk about black-owned asset management firms. Um, and I stumbled upon the research from 27.4, uh, which seems to be a very comprehensive piece of research. Um, and although there are many small black-owned firms, more than 30 of them in the market, mm. The industry or the, the segment is dominated by uh, two firms who own uh, collectively more than 50% of um, around 310 billion of assets under management. And, and the biggest 10 firms um, manage uh, 91%. Sure. Um, what are the dynamics uh, of this uh, the black-owned asset management industry? Um, I think that the tricky bit is that there's some phenomenal businesses within that. Uh, I, sh I shouldn't say that because it's our competitors. But uh, in, in terms of performance, if you look at some of our peers, probably some of the best performance in the country, period. Uh, never mind in the black space. Uh, some of the best managers in the country, period. And uh, I think because um, they've been or we've been collectively painted with the black-owned businesses, uh, the allocations that 
these firms get is relatively small because black businesses are seen as uh, businesses to incubate rather than core managers in your investment uh, product. But I think it's gradually, that picture is gradually changing as performance and the teams that are really impressive and can compete with uh, all of the firms in the country as that becomes clear that it's actually irrelevant that they happen to be black. Having said that, 4.4% of, of the investment and savings industry is invested through some of those firms. Sure. Uh, and what is the pressure like in the industry? If you compare it, for example, to the mining industry where there's a massive focus on empowerment, um, it doesn't seem to be as amplified or as stringent in the financial services industry? I think the pressure is growing, um, thankfully. And as again, I, I emphasize that if you look at underlying performance, performance has been phenomenal. And certainly the performance and the teams don't warrant just a 4% allocation of the broader market. So I think that's really the, the thing that's driving the pressure that you've, wait a minute, you've got businesses that are actually doing quite well and that then underlying investors are being rewarded, but the broader market uh, isn't allocating to them. Is the uh, allocation accelerating? Gradually. I think as as industry participants, we, we would all like that process to, to speed up a bit more. Again, I, I think there's still this mindset that if you're a, a black-owned business, uh, it must be that you an incubator type program and need a smaller allocation. But the truth is, uh, most of the individuals that are working within the space have been in the industry for a uh, hell of a long time and have earned their stripes and are doing pretty good things at, at, at their businesses. If you look at some of the big funds out there, uh, the PIC, you know, the Government Employees Pension Fund, are they the typical funds that would allocate money to smaller asset managers? I think traditionally they've um, started the process out um, without the likes of the PIC, um, ESCOM Pension Fund is another. I think uh, the the black-owned space uh, getting to the $300 billion would have been particularly difficult. So they've been the first movers. But I, again, I, I think uh, even at that level, there's a demand from their side to, to increase the allocation. And not just because of transformation, but because these businesses are good at what they do. So, Chepo, thank you for coming in and, and good luck with uh, Seriti Asset Management. Thank you. That was Chepo Modiba. He's the Chief Investment Officer of Seriti Asset Management.